you know, we look for the quick way out. We look for the easy way a lot of times. And, uh, you know, we think that we need something other than Jesus. And we all do it. Um, we all do it. But it's partially because we realize that we're not good enough on our own. And sometimes that's hard for us to deal with. And that's a little bit about what we're going to be looking at uh, today as we continue talking about how through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, the things that he taught turned our world upside down. It's so good to see everybody and for us to be back in person. And for those of you joining us online, I'm glad that we can just get together and, and have church again. So thankful uh, for this in person at least, but the fact that we can always uh, be together online is, is a great thing as well. And so happy new year because we haven't been able to say that in person the last couple of weeks and, uh, and glad that you all can be here as we're going to uh, continue going through the Sermon on the Mount and looking at um, th this video in, in many ways and, and kind of the principles, the underlying principles of it. Um, we do see that we have a problem sometimes in trying to, to do other things and, and displace Jesus in some ways or think that uh, if, if we just did this or we just did that and we play the comparison game as well, there's, uh, there's a lot of things there that, that Jesus actually addressed as he did turn our world upside down because what, what he was talking about and, and how we should live in the kingdom community that he established it was a complete upside down perspective from what everybody thought that he was going to say and from what everybody thought it was going to be. And he did it in a, in a way that, um, out, out of love, but at the same time in a, in a, in a way that called everybody out. Uh, and we're gonna look at that today as well. You know, he didn't bring a pandemic. He didn't do it through fear. He didn't do it through a quarantine. Um, he did it by expressing the availability of the kingdom of God every day to everyone and that everyone is invited in that exclusive, inclusive uh, idea that he put out there, um, that it is for everyone. And I believe that what God's shown us through 2020, which he has shown us a lot of things, it's been really easy to focus on the negative things as we've talked about many times. Um, but God did some amazing things through 2020 and we can either learn from it or we can be polarized by it and we can even, even worse, take a step back from it. But I believe God has shown us some awesome things and has done some amazing things through what has been um, not the greatest year, understatement of the day, as we move into 2021 and move through 2021. I think that there are some amazing things that we can take to push forward and move forward into this year. And some of it, has to do with this idea of being enough. We sang about it uh, a little bit, um, but I, I wanna tell you a story about when I really realized that I wasn't, uh, I guess, enough in, in some regards. Uh, I think most of you know, uh, if you don't, uh, I went to art school, I went to the Art Institute of Pittsburgh, and I went there from 97 to 99, because um, I only offered a two-year degree at the time, and um, when, when I went, um, it was probably, if, if it wasn't the top, it was one of the top art schools on the East Coast, uh, certainly in the top three at the time. And, um, and so when I, when I went there, um, I, I remember, I think it was probably the third class that I, that I took, and, and we had a class called Marker Rendering. And um, I had not really done too much with, with markers, at least in this regard. Uh, but I remember it was probably my second or third week, and that was actually the class that I got my first project back with a grade on it um, since going to art school. And so I'm, uh, I'm there, and, and they hand our, our stuff back to us, and, and I did a, a still life, I, I totally remember this, of a bottle of Polo Sport. It was blue, 
and, uh, and I thought I did pretty good on it. And teacher hands back uh, the, the assignments, and mine was marked with a C. And I didn't know how to handle that. Because you have to understand that before I went to art school, I had never received anything but an A on any art project ever in my life, um, ever. And when I was in high school, especially, um, you know, I, I was probably the best artist that I knew, um, and certainly the best artist in in my school. You know, me and a couple of other people uh, in the school were were really good artists, but but uh, you know, it, it was definitely you know just a couple of us, and, and we knew that we were the best artists around. And I know I sound really arrogant right now when I say this, and I was, um, but at the same time, you know, I you go to a professional art school. And you realize that everybody in that school was that guy at high school, you know? So everybody in their high school, they're now at this school, they were the best artists they knew before they came. And I had a pretty quick dose of reality when I got this project back. And I literally, it's embarrassing to say this, if you want to see the, how arrogant I guess I was. I, I literally went up to the teacher and said, um, I think you mismarked this. And... He said, no. I said, are you, are you sure? You know, cause I, I thought I did really good on it. I, like I said, I'd never gotten anything but an A in art, ever. And he gave me a C. And I, I didn't know how to deal with it because I went from pretty much the best artist that I knew, at least, to average J right now, like instantly. And I didn't know how to handle it. Talent alone wasn't enough when you're at one of the best art schools around. Um, and in life, talent, uh, talent alone isn't enough. I had to actually learn the craft of design. I had to dig into the ins and outs and, and really work hard at art for the first time in my life. I really had to work hard at it, and God needed me, and, and everybody else around me at the time would probably agree, I needed to be knocked down a few pegs, and probably more than a few pegs, and it happened um, really quickly right then. But I realized very soon in my first month and a half at art school that I wasn't good enough. I wasn't good enough. I just simply wasn't. And a lot of times we look at life this way as well. We, we look at our relationship with Jesus in the same way. And I wanna show you what I mean because as Jesus continues through the Sermon on the Mount, he, he really kinda gets to the heart of this idea through the different things that he teaches on as he goes through. Um, Remember, his connection point overall with, with the Sermon on the Mount really comes down to this idea of blessed are those who don't think that they're really blessed in this kingdom community that he is establishing and, and that with Jesus, you have everything that you need. And that is a really hard thing for us to get our head around and for us to get ourselves out of the way. And so if you do have your Bibles, we're in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, verses 17 through uh, 20 is where we're going to start. But we're going to start in 17, and we're really going to go through the rest of the, of the chapter together. And it's a challenging chapter because it gets into some things that get awkward. It gets into some things that really get to the heart of the issue, and Jesus doesn't really leave anybody out by the time he gets to the end. And so we're in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 17, and here's what he says. Do not presume that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. This is important. We're going to get back to this in a little bit. But this is an important phrase to start with right here. Because he did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. And the rest of what he says here proves that. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter 
or the stroke of a letter shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever nullifies one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that unless your righteousness far surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So he sets a standard real quick. And at this time, in this day and age, if you were to ask the people in first century, if you were to ask the Jews, so if you could pick, say, two people who would, who would go to heaven for sure, who would they be? More than likely, the people around there would say, well, it would have to be a scribe and, and a Pharisee because they are the ones that keep the law to the best. And that was the perspective then, was that they kept the law um, better than anyone. And Jesus says, though, here at the end, this really gets everybody's attention. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if we really understand the weight of this, of how much attention this really, like everybody perked up when he said this, because literally he's saying even their righteousness isn't enough. And everybody was probably like, okay. And it's because Jesus cares more about what happens on the inside. Jesus cares more about what happens on the inside. And, and the rest of what he is going to be talking about here shows that. As he continues the rest of the chapter, he continues turning the world upside down through the things that he's saying because of what everybody thought was one thing. He flips it on his head and takes it up a notch, as you see as we continue through here, because he sets a new standard that doesn't leave anyone out and breaks everyone down. So going down to verse 21. Verse 21, he says this, You have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not murder. And whoever commits murder shall be answerable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be answerable to the court. And whoever says to his brother, You good for nothing, shall be answerable to the Supreme Court. And whoever says, You fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Okay. So I'm sure none of us here have ever looked at somebody and said something along the lines of, you fool, you're an idiot. Nobody's ever said that, right? Have you ever been so angry? And I don't, I don't just mean like I'm just mad at something, but you're like angry. You're like so angry. See, Jesus is, is really setting a standard here. Anger is a word that carries a lot of weight in terms of how it, can, uh, how it can control us, how it can affect us, and how it can control the decisions maybe that we make moving forward. Did you ever notice that anger is one letter from danger? Because it really is, <laughs> literally and figuratively. You might be able to hide it, you might be able to disguise it, and we all uh, attempt to do that. But quite frankly, church, this is something that I struggle with as well. We all have different struggles. But anger is something that if it continues to brew, will lead to danger, and it will lead you to places you, you didn't think you could go and maybe even say some things or do some things that you never even thought were possible. See, Jesus talks about murder earlier. Murder begins in the heart. See, Jesus is more concerned about the inside when it comes to the kingdom of God. That's what he's getting to, and that's what you're going to continue to hear as we go through this. Skip down to verse 27. It says, You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. 
But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, it just got a little bit awkward. Guys, ever lose track of your eyeline? Yeah, same. I'm a guy, right? We all, this is a thing that we struggle with. This is a, guy that, that, a thing that the guys struggle with. But you know what? It's the second look that gets you. And we live in such a sex-saturated culture that it's tough to avoid, but we have to. We have to. There is way too much at stake. And guys, teenage guys, and there's some teenage guys here, perk up and listen to me for just a second. And for those of you watching online as well, listen, you gotta, you, this, this is a principle that I've spoken on many, many times as a youth pastor, but, but here's the thing. There's this principle called bounce your eyes, right? Sometimes you just can't control where your eye line is going. You're just walking and you look and you're just, boo, there it is. Bounce your eyes. Bounce your eyes to something else. Get in the habit of doing that now so that when you're my age, you're not trying to figure that out. <laughs> you're not trying to figure that out later. Because I'm telling you, it doesn't get easier when you get older. We just get better at hiding it. And some of us don't, but some of us do. And it's, it's, it's a struggle for, for most guys. And it's not to say that it's, it's something that, that girls don't, uh, don't struggle with as well. But good grief, this sex-saturated culture that we live in, sometimes you just can't avoid looking at it because it is so much out there. But again, the issue is the heart. The issue is the heart. And what happens on the inside will help to control what happens on the outside. As I like to say that our behaviors, if we focus too much on the behaviors, what we need to do is focus on the heart. If we can change our heart, the behaviors will take care of themselves. And Jesus is the one that changes our heart. And the behaviors will follow. You don't focus on the behaviors and not the heart. It doesn't work. Let's continue. Now it was said, whoever sends his wife away to give her a certificate of divorce, but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now it just got real awkward, and it got real personal, and it got real controversial instantly, didn't it? And Jesus doesn't shy away from it, and we're not going to either. Divorce was happening back in the day, probably just as much, if not more, than it was now. We don't really think about it like that, and we don't really hear it said that much, but it really was. It was happening just as often. And Jesus is setting some standards here. He is setting some standards, and he's really trying to prove a point and call some people out. What he's not doing is giving a dissertation on divorce, which a lot of people like to use these these verses and say, but if you notice, if you read all of this in context, as I like to say over and over and over again, that Jesus hits various things as he goes through this chapter. He's hitting them one after another, after another, after another. Obviously, divorce is not okay with God. That is a clear thing that we know. It is not okay with God. These are standards of right living that God is very clear about. His plan is for people to be married, for a man and a woman to be married until death do you part. That is the plan. And we should take the covenant of marriage seriously because God does. But, but, yes, it's committing adultery. Very clearly said there. But let's not impose that this is some unforgivable sin that unfortunately gets put out there very much like it is, like it is some unforgivable sin that just makes you the worst because Jesus doesn't. Jesus hits various things throughout this. 
Jesus doesn't rank it up there as one of the worst. He ranks it up there as sin because to God, all sin is sin. That's hard for us to get our head around. But the only unforgivable sin that the Bible talks about is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And really what that means is rejecting Jesus Christ. That is the unforgivable sin, if you will. But let me throw this out. Did you know that God issued a divorce? Did you know God issued a divorce? If you have your Bible apps, I put the verse in there. It's Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 8. Look what it says here. I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of all her adulteries. Yet I saw that her unfaithful sister Judah had no fear. She also went out and committed adultery. Now, there is an analogy that's being used here. God is using the analogy of divorce, divorcing Israel because of the continual sin of unrepentant adultery against him. Yet, he's still merciful he is still standing there with his arms open for her to return to him in repentance. See, look around you. Look around you even here, for those of you that are watching at home. We're surrounded by, according to Jesus' standard, we're surrounded by murderers and liars and adulterers. So go ahead and throw the first stone. We are all sinners, and we all need a Savior. And we're not all going to get everything right here. And that was Jesus' point as he's going through. And then he takes it even further as he continues on here in Matthew. You've heard it said, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not show opposition against an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek turn the other toward him also. So we know this one. We know the turn the other cheek, and this is where that comes from. And so again, though, Jesus is talking about the inside versus the outside. Jesus wasn't altering the law. A lot of times, going back to that, that original thing that I said we'd get back to here at the beginning, he was not altering the law. He was correcting what they had heard and redefining the understanding of it. He was showing them. He was showing them that it had much more to do with the inside and that you aren't good enough on your own. You are not good enough on your own. I think that's something that a lot of us get, but I think we take that way too far. And I think we take that mentality in the wrong direction because we might be saying, and you might be sitting here saying, well, hey, at least I'm not a murderer or a cheater or adulterer or you know, I don't get back at people. Well, yeah, um, according to Jesus' standard, yeah, you are. <laughs> we all are. We're all guilty. See, this is the culture that Jesus is talking about that he's establishing that should attract people to him and to his kingdom, not push people away. We take it the wrong way, and we end up pushing people away because we're expecting people to live up to a, to a standard we take this holier-than-thou mentality, we push people away from Jesus because they don't live up to our personal standard. But Jesus' standard says that all, all of us need a savior. That's the point that he's getting to here. And then he even takes it to the next level. 
takes it up even another notch. You have heard it. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may prove yourselves to be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Even the tax collectors, do they not do the same? See, Jesus is the opposite of what you expect. And by that phrase, I'm, I'm really talking about those that have this false perception of what the Christian community really should be. That it's the opposite, and many times, of, of what you expect. Because maybe, maybe you thought that you weren't good enough, and you've taken that to the nth degree. Or maybe you've thought that you never could be good enough. See, we see here as Jesus is talking about the value of prayer and praying for those that are our enemies. Again, he keeps taking it up another notch. But he's also wrapping this in grace and in the grace of God that is for everyone. See, in Jesus, you're blessed regardless of where you're starting from. If you are in Jesus, you are, you are blessed regardless of where you're starting from. And without him, good luck. Good luck meeting the, sta- <clears throat> the standard. Because the Sermon on the Mount, it's meant to bring us to the realization that everybody, that everybody is equally guilty, and it drives us to Jesus. It drives us to Jesus, and that in him you are blessed and you are welcome in the kingdom of God. And without him, you have no chance of keeping the standard of the law. You have no chance without him. See, the sermon drives us to Christ, and then it directs us in Christ to the, real, to the realization that we need his strength, and that we have a long way to go. We have a long way to go, and when he said that, When he said this, and he said all of these things, and he said that he came to fulfill the law, this is what he meant. And then he puts the cherry on top with this verse. Therefore, you shall be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Good luck. Good luck with that. I don't think we, uh, I don't think we realize how quasi-sarcastic Jesus could be because he was really proving a point here. See, in art school, I got very down on myself after that C, (laughs) Um, and then I got a B after that as well, and I realized that I had to to work hard, but I got got very hard on myself, and I got down for a while. Um, Anybody that knows me well knows that I have a personal standard of excellence um, that is ridiculous, and that are standards that I can never meet. It's just sort of how I'm wired. Um, but you know, when Jesus says this, Jesus says this, it's game over. It's game over for all of that because it's an impossible task. And that was his point, that this is an impossible task. You will never get all of this right. You will never get all of this right. And that is some of the root of what gets, uh, some people in, depressed is because we have this unattainable level of life in our mind that always lets us down. 
instead of taking it to Jesus. Look at what Paul said about it in Romans 8. Romans 8, he says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. Condemnation really means uh, disapproval. It means strong disapproval. And as, as I've mentioned in the past, our Heavenly Father approves of us. He approves of you and who you are. What he doesn't approve of is our sin. He doesn't approve of, of those times that we, that we displease him and, and we, we don't do what we should. But he loves us anyway. He loves us anyway. See, the law can only detect sin. The law can't defeat sin. It could only detect it. Jesus, he is the only one that can defeat sin. Only Jesus can defeat sin. And too many times we try our oils of obey and various different things that we attempt to do in our life and forget this simple fact. He did just this with his work on the cross. And even though you can't be perfect, you are welcome in the kingdom of God and you are blessed because it's not about your efforts or your talent. It's about what Jesus can and will do with you and through you if you are willing. And that's where the connection point comes in that brings this all together and it is this, that without Jesus, you will never be enough. But with Jesus, with Jesus, he is always enough. He is always enough, and, and we could even change this out to say he is more than enough, because he is. And I feel like as we move into this year, what a place to begin with, as we sang earlier, more of him and less of me. This, this gets down to that idea. As I mentioned, even when we were doing the series, More Like Jesus, that that's really what every Sunday is about anyway, isn't it? Us being more like Jesus, because that's the goal every day, every week, every minute. See, our community and our world, they need to know this. Our world needs to know this because the world is constantly trying to find ways to fill the void and do different things and try to be good enough and we never will be. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You can't do that on your own. There is freedom in Jesus. And I think some of us here, some of us watching online, and certainly the world that we are all going out into needs to know that and needs to understand that. And that's where the church can have such an amazing impact on this world. Will you bow your heads with me? Why does this matter so much? Why does this matter moving into the new year? How do we apply this as a church 
and individually as we lead into the the next phase of what God has for us? It's because it develops the culture that Connect Church needs to be, needs to continue to be, where we need to continue to grow so that we can utilize the vehicles that God has given us and really leverage the influence that we have for the kingdom of God. That will draw people to Christ, community, and purpose through the power and grace of Jesus Christ. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, if, if maybe you've, you thought you were enough, or maybe you think you will never be enough, today can be a day when you can put all that aside and stop worrying about it and just come to Jesus as you are. Because he is more than enough to take care of and tackle alongside you and for you anything and everything that you're going through. But it begins with laying it down at his feet and it begins with a relationship with him. And if you don't have that relationship with him, I'd love to pray with you today. I'd love to talk to you about that. If you're watching online, you can maybe chat with the host that's there about it. Or you can go to connectchurch.xyz slash next and get more information there. Because God created us for relationships God created us to be together and we're never going to be perfect. Only the blood of Jesus can remove that sin from our life and give us that free gift of eternal life that can start right now. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day and this time that you've given us, Lord. I thank you that we have been able to gather together here physically and digitally. Lord, and I pray, God, for each and every one of us as we continue into this new year of Still a ton of uncertainty, Lord. There is still a ton of it. Doesn't look like things are going to get that much better anytime soon. And so, Father, we know that our hope is not in that. Our hope is in you. Father, we are never going to be enough. We are never going to be good enough. And we don't have to be because of you. Yes, Lord, we need to try to be more like you each and every day, and we need to continue to to grow in in our faith and, and grow in our righteousness. But God, to set this standard of perfection that you set, we can never accomplish that on our own. It's only through you. God, because without you, we will never be enough. And with you, Lord, you are more than enough. So Lord, I pray that if there's one here that doesn't know you as Savior, that maybe they need to start from that place God, that today might be the day that they make that decision. Lord, help us all as we go forward into this week and into this world that you've called us to be in and you've called us to be a light in the darkness. Help us to be that. And help us to be that, Lord, in a way that honors you, that glorifies you. Lord, you have placed us here as your vehicle, the church, to reach this world. Empower us, Father, as we move forward and reach people for you in 2021. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name.